everybody got a dream let me show you all love from an idea working it into a startup this the show that you need what more could you ask for never know who become the ceo next door tune in every episode insightful the type of vibe you will want to subscribe to let's go Welcome everyone to the next episode of the CEO Next Door. Our focus is on founder stories. With me today, Mike Mayer is Donovan Morrison, my co-host, and our esteemed guest, John Burra, the CEO at Mammoth Interactive. John, why don't we start with getting a quick elevator pitch from you of who you are and what you're up to? Sure. Uh, so, uh, like you said, my name is John Burra, and I founded a company over 11 years ago, um, or 12 years ago now, <laughs> it's been a long time, uh, that creates e-learning content. And I was one of the first people on Udemy, and I have a ton of stories, which I'm very excited to, to share with you today. Uh, but basically, I started uh, in 2011, and I made my first online course, and then it got picked up by um, by a bunch of different uh, organizations, and then from there, I kept on making more courses and making more money, et cetera. Uh, what we do is we make coding courses, but we also make technical courses. Uh, AI is all the rage right now, so we're making a lot of AI courses. Uh, and what we do is we usually make practical projects uh, in our tutorials here. So like if you have two hours on a Friday night and you want to learn how to build like a simple large language learning model, well, guess what? We have a course on that. And since our uh, since the beginning, we've sold over 5 million courses uh, we just hit that this year, and this is an absolutely amazing milestone for us. Congratulations. Awesome. Awesome. So what uh, what age groups are you targeting? It sounds like based on the content, it's a little bit older. Yeah. So a lot of, uh, so oftentimes we find that people in their twenties kind of after they've done their, their degree and they're looking for something else to kind of, uh, you know, push them over for the next promotion, or if they're just kind of learning to just get a new skill, uh, that's mostly our focus, but we do have a lot of people from, let's say the high school to university, uh, 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 age group that also does that. And we also have some kids, uh, that do it is every once in a while, I get a 13 year old coming into our course and he's just absolutely amazing, you know, because uh, kids are super smart. And then um, in the past, we've had people that are 85 and older. So it's really all ages, but I would say most of our cohort, uh, the cohort is probably between uh, 24 and 40. Got it. That's cool. Having folks coming in in their 80s, learning to code and diving into AI. That's that's impressive. It is. It is. I always like it when when anyone comes to our course, but it's it's always nice to hear how many uh, diverse uh, people come into our courses from different uh, walks of life and whatnot. Are you taking some of the courses yourself? Uh, you know, I do. I do watch a lot of the courses that go through. Yeah. Uh, so I should also mention that I, when I first started this, it was just me. It was just mm-hmm. me in my bed, bedroom or my, my apartment, right? Barely <laughs> struggling to pay the rent. And then eventually I got like a five figure check and then I'm like, whoa, this is amazing. But it was me for the first maybe four or five years. And then after that, I hired some employees. And now I have about anywhere between eight and 15 employees at any given time. Uh, yeah. So, so that's, so that's what I do. So in short answer, I do watch some of the courses and it's always good to talk to the instructors to find out like what they're doing and uh, you know um, and what, and how we can basically make the best course. So are you What's, developing out the content internally or are you working with, it sounds like 
professors or facilitators who are bringing in their own content and then you approve and work with them to mold the courses? How does that piece work? So we build everything from scratch in-house. So uh, I have several full-time employees that that is their their job. Their job is to make tutorials uh, day in and day out. They don't focus on the marketing. They don't focus on anything else. It's just their job is to, you know, make, make like find a good fun project, right? Because it has to be fun because when, when, at least for our business, attention is a hard thing to get and we're competing with like Netflix and pretty much everything else trying to get your attention. So I always tell my instructors, your courses have to compete with the next Netflix series. So, uh, so we always try to make it, we always try to make it fun. And we always have a lot of back and forth with that. But the, but what we do is we make sure that we have like, we have kind of like a production plan that probably goes about six months out. And then in that production plan, we find necessary experts and then we work with them to create the content. Interesting. Okay. So what's the typical price point for your courses? Well, uh, so most of our courses are are fairly um, uh, can be fairly inexpensive. They can be anywhere from like ten dollars for a few hours course, and we have bundles of courses for fifty to one hundred dollars, maybe up to two hundred. And then you can buy a whole heck load of courses for five hundred dollars plus. And one of the things that we're actually doing now is we're having boot camps. There's these eight weeks rolling boot camps. It's two hours a week. And these two hours a week, you basically get to, you know, uh, sit with uh, one of our uh, uh, instructors and you get to build a practical project. And that's been going on for the last two years. So that's kind of another vertical that I've added since COVID. Okay. So John, I'm sure we'll dive into Mammoth a little bit deeper later in the episode, but would love to hear how you got here. Were you, did you have an entrepreneurial spirit from when you were young? What was your uh, upbringing like? Well, um, so, uh, so I, so I'm from Canada. So I, I grew up in, in a place called Calgary and, you know, it's, um, it's kind of like your typical oil town. Uh, and you know, it, there's a lot of entrepreneurial, I have a lot of entrepreneurs in the family. My parents aren't entrepreneurs, but their parents, uh, you know, they did start their own businesses and whatnot. And, you know, from, I would say I never even thought about being an entrepreneur at all. <laughs> and then someone in high school, actually was my guidance counselor said that I think it might be good for you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I just want a job. I want a paycheck every two weeks. And so uh, in in high school, one of my, uh, one of my big passions was music. And I practiced like a gajillion hours a day (laughs) and I applied to uh, a guitar store. And in that guitar store, um, I, they, they've put like 53 students a week on me. And I was like, 17 and still in high school, but I had, I had like a goatee at the time. So I looked like I was 25. Right. And so, and so, and then also I started to teach by myself too. So that was kind of like my first, um, like uh, diving deep into entrepreneurship, right. You know, booking clients myself, uh, you know, kind of getting them, getting them to pay and then providing good product, all of this stuff. I uh, came out when I was like really, really young. And I, I didn't look at, at the time, I'm just like, oh, it's just a job, right? I could be working at Subway or I don't know, I could be working in construction or I could be teaching guitar lessons. I, I just thought it was a job, but I actually really learned so much about entrepreneurship in the, in that one little while. It was completely natural to me. Other people, um, you know, they might not have, uh, they might not have thought that it was natural, but at least to me, it was natural. That's interesting that your guidance counselor recommended that you pursue entrepreneurship. I feel like my tradition, my thought of a traditional guidance counselor is very much like, let's, let's have the students 
Let's try and have them pursue much safer paths, safer roads, like a lot more stability. That's pretty cool. And it sounds like a very unique individual in that role, um, recommending that you go for your own thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess like, you know, now that I'm older, I have all the the hallmarks of an entrepreneur, like taking risks, you know, doing my own thing. And then, you know, just kind of working independently. Like these are all, these are all very core uh, 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 traits of an entrepreneur. And I guess she saw that in me and she said, just go for it. Awesome. How did you keep up your, how'd you keep up at the guitar place teaching that many people? I could, how did, how did you fit that in? Was there group classes or this one at a time? This was one at a time. And I I worked Wednesday. I worked when nobody else wanted to work. So I got a Wednesday, a Friday, a Saturday, a Sunday. Right. And so like, I mean, I'm like 18 years old and I'm like working the entire weekend. And so I'm, you know, at a level I was like, okay, this is really good experience. Right. I should just do this. Cause at the time I was getting paid like three times minimum wage. And I'm like, again, I could be making subs or I could be doing this. And I thought that that was a better thing to do. So it was, you know, and that's another thing, uh, I guess, which is kind of a, a lesson is if you do something that someone doesn't want to do, you often can either get more experience or profit more. And that's, that's very, very common entrepreneurship. Did you uh, teach any guitar prodigies, anyone who turned into to someone big? No, no, not, not, not quite. I, I wish I did though. So, yeah. Are you, are you still playing the guitar? So fun fact. Um, so here, here's the thing. So going on with, with my life story. Uh, so, uh, what, what happened was is at the end of my, so the other passion I have is obviously computers because I teach coding courses and my major thing coming out of college was I had this algorithm that would compose video game music on the fly through these specific algorithms. And they had synthesizers that were very low weight. Okay. It was really, really cool except I graduated in 2008 and that was a terrible year to graduate. (laughs) Right. And so for the next four years, it was really, really rough. And at the time I was still kind of teaching guitar and I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be coding. I wanted a, a, you know, a a job that was, you know, not guitar teaching. Right. And I, and I basically quit right in 2011. I just said, I'm not playing the guitar. And I, I didn't play it for 10 years. I've since then picked it up but right before COVID actually. And I, you know, it's, it's a good thing I do uh, before I go to sleep. Cause I could be watching Netflix or, you know, playing music. And I think that's probably a better thing to do. Uh, yeah. But yes. Uh, so, so the short answer is, is like, you know, in that transition time, um, you know, one of the other things is I actually took coding lessons when I was 12 in the nineties. And that was not cool at the time. It's cool <laughs> now to take coding lessons. It was not cool <laughs> to be, it's like, what did you do this summer? Oh, I learned how to code C plus plus. No, <laughs> like that, that did not get any points with maybe a few teachers, the computer teacher and the math teachers like, oh, okay, well, I guess you, you could be doing something else as a kid, but you know, t- taking a C plus plus course is, is a good thing to do. So I've been coding on this time. And then in college, I made a bunch of websites and I did a little bit of freelancing there. And then in 2008, I decided to just, you know, or well, no, 2009, I decided to make an Xbox 360 game from scratch. And it was kind of like a rhythm shooter. Uh, kind of like Geometry Wars, although not as good. Uh, but uh, but I made I made that, and as soon as I made that one game, that Xbox 360 game, I got a ton of freelancing gigs. Like it was just like I tried before to get freelancing gigs, nothing. I had that on my resume, and I say, hey, look, I built this game. Boom, 
I got a ton of work. It was amazing. Mm. And it was, it was really awesome. And so from that, I also built, I, I was slowly freelancing. I built some more iPhone games. And the reason why I teach coding now is that I would show all the games that I'm working on to people. And they would say, how'd you do that? They didn't care about the games at all. They said, how do you do that? And I'm like, okay, so if I can put coding and teaching into videos and make it like really useful for people, which is which is probably the best advice I could ever give everyone is like, you want to make sure your business is hyper useful and you don't want to waste their time, right? So if I can put all those things into a little package, then I think we have a winner. And sure enough, it was. And then that's how, that's what I've been doing, you know, since basically 2011. Tell us about tell us a little bit more about the games that you've you've developed for iPhone for Xbox. So what what kind of games did any take off? You know, would we recognize any titles? No, they were they were all they were all fairly simple. Uh, okay. So you know, I, I tried to make stuff like as simple as Flappy Bird, but nothing ever took off. However, one thing did. I made a game. Uh, it was called like Fishing with My Dad. It was like a little fishing game, and I released it on Father's Day. And that actually made the most amount of money. It made somewhere in the five figures. I can't remember exactly how much. Okay. Uh, but like that, that that one was the most successful. And the rest of them, like, you know, you have to remember back then it was it, it was kind of difficult to make money uh, with apps because you had to either, it was either all or nothing, right? Like with a dollar, you're getting 70 cents. Like if you sell that to 10 people, like that, that's not very much money. And this is another thing I tell entrepreneurs is that when you're first starting out, you want big ticket items and you want to go for a more luxury market, right? So, you know, it's almost as easy to get someone to pull their credit card out for a dollar as it is for $10,000. Like, I mean, it's obviously not the same thing, but like if, if you're, if you want to like build tables or something like that, go for higher end tables, not stuff that you would get at Ikea, right? Like higher end tables that cost maybe 10, 20, 30, $40,000. And you'll make way more money doing that than trying to compete with Ikea. And the app store at the time, it's like you have to compete with Ikea or McDonald's or all, all that kind of low barrier thing, right. just because of the economic times and you know the, the recession and whatnot. So Got I'm it. curious, I would love to hear more about the music creation on the fly for video games. So mm. what was the use case and kind of how did that work? Okay. So how, how did that work? So base, so basically you had your synthesizers at the bottom uh, and the, the synthesizers were very low weight. And if you, if you take, if you, if you go into like a digital audio workstation, you can play around with synthesizers so that they sound quote, really good. Right. And so you can take like simple waveforms and do that. And, and since I had a lot of experience with this, I could do that. So at the time, I could do that. Then I had a layer of code that would execute music patterns on demand. So the, the use the the tech demo that I that I kind of had was like a, a, a racing game. So there'd be like a little thing as the car is getting up. And if you're doing better, like it might kick you off into like a higher tempo track. And then if you're doing worse, it might not. And then you could play around with the variables. Like so, you could say, you know, if if you're doing really well, you can kick up this like an extra semitone to or tone right so so it would make the games a lot more dynamic but another cross current at the time was everything was going to mobile and mobile at the time had absolutely no resources i don't know if you know this but the angry birds game could barely function on it like it worked obviously but like the they had to employ so many tri tips or tricks 
to make it work. They had no room for this stuff, right? And so this is another thing that that I that I learned. So going from let's say 2007 to 2009, in that period of time, things changed dramatically. Again, and I kind of realized this. Like it's kind of hard as you're going through life, but like I woke up one day, I'm like, wow, the world is incredibly different, and all the all the stuff, all the variables that I've been planning for have completely flipped. So I have to learn to adapt. And this is another reason why I make tutorials is because, you know, as something comes up, you can just quickly adapt to it and profit. And the best and most recent example is chat GPT, right? So if you become really good at managing these large language learning uh, models or things like mid-journey, then there's a whole bunch of people that don't know how to do that. And you can start a business and then you can profit. And then maybe 10 years down the road, you make $10 million, right? And so if you learn to flip like that, that's really good because I remember waking up. Actually, here, here's a story. So I was doing some, uh, I was doing some consulting work for a mall, and I think it was Denmark or Germany. I can't remember which one. And they wanted to put their entire 3D model in an app. And I'm like, well, no, they can they can barely run like you know no, nothing like that. You can do it now, right? You could put like a whole 3D model of the mall in that. But they so it was like it was like three meetings and. I never got the contract or, or whatever because, well, the project wasn't possible. Let's put it that way. But what they did is they said, look, do you, do you know how to do graphic design? And at the time, my graphic design skills were beginner level. And like what we'd love for you to do just a little bit of graphic design just to pay for, you know, your uh, your time and whatnot. And I said, no, because I, I couldn't I couldn't really do it. But had I had more graphic design work, I could have at least made a little bit more money. And so that's another reason why I really like putting out these courses is because we can get people from beginner to profit ready as quickly as possible. So how do you and your team stay on top of what's new, what's fresh, what you sh- and decide what you should be focusing on in updating your content and in, in your courses? Right, right. And this this is kind of somewhat of our, our secret sauce here. But the short answer is that I always look at what what's trending here. And I and since I have a massive content production, like I've been producing like let's say creative works content, whatever you want to call it, for over 20 years now. So I understand, okay, if I have an idea, how do I use the tools that are available to get that idea out there to people and 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 potentially make money? So I'm always kind of looking at which tools to to do what. And sometimes, you know, like especially with all the with all the mid journey and the stuff here, uh, some of the tools aren't aren't as good. Or sometimes I look at something really early on, and then it ends up becoming a lot better. And a couple examples of this is Duolingo. When Duolingo first came out, I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's like a fun little app. And then you know, I like, I go about my day and then a few years later, like, oh, wait, they're on the stock market. Like they IPO'd, right? And then then I took a look at Duolingo and it's absolutely amazing now, right? So, you know, if you want to learn a language, uh, you know, Duolingo is, is such a good app. And so the same thing happens, like, and, and this is actually, this is actually really key. Sometimes you can be early and being early is just as, as, as it's, it's like being wrong, right? And and we've been we've been early on some cases, and then we've been late on some other cases. And you really have to figure out what is going to be kind of big. And one of the ways you can tell this is the internet chatter, right? If there's like subreddits popping up on this, and you see subreddit growth, that's a good sign that it's, that it's coming up. So, what are some of the more obscure courses you have on your platform? Obscure. Ooh, that, that's a good. 
question. Uh, so, so yeah, so we're always trying to, to, to do something new. So one of the courses that I thought would do really well and completely failed was machine learning and biology. And the reason for that is that any clinical biologist has so much data that they have to put it through machine learning models. We put it up on Udemy, it got three stars, we took it down. <laughs> right. And <laughs> so it's like, okay, so that was, that's one of the course. I actually really like that course. Um, and this is actually another thing is that sometimes you might think you have a really good course or a good product and it doesn't like people are just not ready for it. Right. When it comes to making a product, if you think of uh, it has to be just outside of what people know and can think they can profit from. If it's too far outside of what people think they can profit of, they won't They won't buy it, right? And so I would say that a, a really good example of this is the iPad, right? When the iPad came out, people were like, it was just outside of what people wanted, but you know, it was the right decision, even though at the time there was a lot of backlash for it, right? So if, if you do something that's um, you know too far out, like VR is a good example, right? You know, let's go back eight years, all the VR headsets or six years, the VR set, headsets didn't really do well. They're doing well now because the technology is caught up, but VR was too outside of what people know. And even then, even if we go back two years with Meta, VR is still too far of what outside of what people want to do or, or really know. So you really have to be just outside. Like the, the real innovation is just outside public perceptions. Let's put it that way. What are your, what are your courses that are killing it right now? So all of the a the Python AI and Chat GPT stuff, oh, that is just flying off of uh, off the yeah, shelves. That, there's that yeah, basic basic flying the shelves and the Mid Journey stuff too. We actually do a really good job with Mid Journey. Mid the I, uh, if you don't know what Mid, so if you're listening, you don't know what Mid Journey is. Mid Journey is where you can prompt and get uh, and get images. And as a creator, as soon as it came out. I remember spending like four hours in one night. I was just at the kitchen table with my laptop and I like didn't stand up because it was just like, oh, you can type this in. You can make it this style. Wow. Amazing. It's like for a creator, it's like the best, best thing you'd ever, uh, you'd ever want here. So that's another course that we like. And what we, what we really do with that course, it's like we take mid journey and then we put it into Photoshop to create something completely different, right? It's not just a mid journey course. It's like a complete mm -hmm. course. Oh, so are all of the courses pre-recorded, or are there any like live sessions or interaction between people taking the courses? So all the they're all pre-recorded, and we also do some video editing to make sure that it is not boring, right? Because again, we have to compete with Netflix here. So sometimes, like especially in, uh, well, sometimes if you're coding, there's things you got to do that are just well kind of boring, right? So we don't want to say, oh, I got, I used to do this. I used to be like, okay, now we got a dragon 50 of these little things, but now I just speed that up. It's like dragon 50 and pause the video, do it and then come back. Right. So, yeah. so that's, um, so that's what we do. Are you teaching any of the courses now? So no, but I might be doing a boot camp on AI stuff very soon. Okay. Do you so enjoy when, when you, you were starting? Oh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Do you enjoy teaching? Is that is that your passion? Were you were you studying te teaching or was it just computer science? Uh, it was music and computers. Okay, got it. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, so, do I like teaching? I do like teaching, although it is possible to get burnt out with teaching. I'll say that, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, it's definitely something. Like, I'm really. Uh, so, I had to like right as soon as the pandemic started. I did one final course, which it was actually really funny. I my first course on Unity was on a uh, engine called Construct. Two, 
which is an HTML5 game engine, really good. My last one was on Construct 3, the same engine. So it kind of bookended my teaching stuff, but I mostly focus on growing the business now. And this is something that's key. If you want to scale, you have to learn to delegate some of your tasks. And it is very difficult to do that, right? Uh, so mm -hmm. what I did in 26... So in 2015, the market was, at least for these courses, was gearing up to be something a little bit bigger. And I said, look, if I don't expand right now, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to exist in three years, right? So um, so I got an office and I hired three employees and then I hired a few more and then a few more freelancers and then it's all up from there. And so what I do is, you know, um, one of the other jobs that I actually had was at Starbucks for a while and Starbucks was probably one of the best jobs I ever had, which I could talk about for a long time. Uh, first of all, they, they force you to smile at four o'clock or five o'clock in the morning. And if you could do that, and you can do that on a sales call, then then you're you're golden, right? So so uh so start uh so the one thing I learned at Starbucks is that they actually like to well, they used to do this. I don't know, this many years ago. But what they used to do is take a barista, move them to a shift, move them to a manager, move them up, uh, move that person up. And that way. The manager and like the district manager knows every single job within sure. the stores. And I think that's really good. Now, the tech equivalent would be, I guess, Elon Musk, sort of like he kind of knows everything of what's going on. And I like to do that too. Like I want to know what everybody's job entails. I want to know how to do it, how much time it's going to take. Right. And this, I think this is really important. I'm not just, you know, saying, hey, do this right now. Right. I'm saying, you know, you, you can do this. It'll probably take you a couple of days and whatnot, but I know exactly, you know, how to record it, go to the video editor, do the marketing, all that stuff. And that's what I had to do. I had to delegate every single thing to my employees. And then now I'm in the process of getting my employees to delegate it to even more. So that's a whole other challenge. So were your first hires, those three individuals that you mentioned? Yes. And you hired them all at the same time. So you went from one to, to four. Yeah. Yeah. I looked at my budget and I'm like, and, and actually my wife was pregnant at the, at, at the time too. So this, this is something that's actually quite interesting. So uh, one of my big sources was Udemy. And at the time I'm like, okay, let's get an office, get employees. I needed two instructors and a video editor. Okay. That, that's what, that's what I, that's what I wanted to do. And then I hired an assistant. So it was, it was four pretty quickly, but what Udemy did is they changed their pricing, which I don't know if you can look, you can look it up, but it was, it, it, Tanked, it wasn't a good business move and it tanked their sales 90%. What is tanked, real quick? What is Udemy just for oh, folks who are unfamiliar? Right. So Udemy is a course marketplace. I was one of the first people on there in late 2011. And then it's, you know, I've, I have something like 500,000 students on there. Uh, and that's, uh, and so it's, it's, it's the only as of now course marketplace, but there probably might be another one coming up in the next, uh, six months here. Uh, but anyway, um, hmm. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, they made a, a business decision. So my income, when my wife was pregnant, I had signed a lease to an office and I now have four people that depend on me paying them. They're like the income dropped 90%. Wow. And yeah, I know, I know. And there's Udemy sales dropped or their commissions to you. Uh, so Udemy sales dropped as and my and my money that I made on there um makes sense dropped they, as well. Everybody so due to their business model, what was their mistake and did they fix it? Okay, so this is what it was. So Udemy is is was 
came out of the last recession where uh, they sold courses for about $10, right? Which is a, which I think is a really good price point, right? So you got $10. They now since have a, a different pricing model, but it would have a steep discount. So it might be like 100 to $10 or 50 to $10 and whatnot. Uh, but what they did is they did exactly what JCPenney did. Uh, and I'm not sure uh, uh, if you know, but JCPenney brought in a CEO and he he didn't do anything, but he, they, Udemy did the exact same thing. And what it was, was no steep discounts and even-ended pricing. So you couldn't charge, you couldn't do anything over like 25%. I can't remember the exact numbers, but you also couldn't do 9.99, right? And if you're into you know sales, there is a world of difference between 9.99 and ten dollars, right? It, it just is, just like the ninety-nine cent store and the dollar store, right? You know, there, there's a huge difference between that, and so nobody liked it. Everyone, including the top instructors at the time, didn't make money. And then, in, in I think it was like two months, they reversed the decision. But still, that was a lot of stress for two months. And actually, what I did is I I, I took some of the money and I day traded it to get by. I'm not joking, right? And yeah. Yeah, and so uh, <laughs> so in order to pay myself, my employees, I day traded, which added just a whole other level of stress, right? Oh, and I you know, and so and so that's what you got to do sometimes when you're in entrepreneurship. You find ways to make money. And the other thing, I guess, I don't know if that guidance counselor saw that in me, but I can deal with stress more than the average person, right? Because entrepreneurship can be stressful. Now, I don't run like a, a thirty million or fifty million dollar company. I don't want to know what kind of stress those guys are under, right? Like if you're just you know, you're cutting like million dollar checks like anyway, but you know, so at least that was a good test for me and the business to go forward. And once we got through that sales just kept going up. That's awesome. So, so curious, did COVID help or hurt your business? I would think help pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. It did, but here's the thing. So as, so since 2011, my sales went up pretty much year over year. Except for in 2018. Okay. And in 2018, my sales went down about 30%. And I felt the world was going to end. Right. And the reason why it went down is we built this massive course uh, that was like a, a Fortnite uh, course that showed you how to build everything from scratch, how to make a game like Fortnite, because Fortnite was like really big at the time. Right. Except it took way too long and we couldn't make any more money. And the market was pivoting towards kind of these more certification like AWS, Azure and stuff, uh, stuff like that. And we didn't really do that because those are completely different from coding tutorials. Real quick, too long to produce the course or for people to actually get through get through it? Uh, to produce the course. So okay. it took our time to market's really good. Um, and that particular course, I think, took six or seven months. And that was too long. And it was in the wrong direction because people weren't buying as many game courses as they were in the past. And my sales went down. And it went down from about Q4 of 2018 all the way to about Q the September of 2019. And I was I was almost ready to throw in the towel. Okay. This close, some people offered some money. I wanted too much. They they wanted to, to lowball me. I said no. And it's a good thing I did I didn't sell the business then. But for whatever reason, in September in 2019, things just picked up again. I'm like, what is going on? Wait, well, I'm not selling the business now. Let's go. Let's just go. And uh, and then COVID hit. And I remember very vividly, I'm like, okay, look, this is going to be the biggest recession ever. And 
we might not be here at the end of the year, but I was wrong. I was really wrong on that. And that in 2020 was our best year to date. Makes sense. Everyone's retooling. Exactly. Yeah. And the fact that people were at home meant that, you know, mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of people were taking our courses and 2020 was a good year. 2021, not as good. 2022 was better. And this was our best year yet. Awesome. Awesome. During COVID, how did you stand out from like different universities offering online courses that people could audit for free? Right. So um, we had a lot of presence and we also had a lot of uh, distribution. Let's put it that way. There's a lot of sites that kind of sold our stuff as affiliates. Okay. And because of that, they put in like a bunch of marketing and we just collected the affiliate fee. And people did know our brand as one that kind of gives you practical projects because we really don't like to waste people's time, right? Like sometimes I'll take another person, like another company's course and I'll be like, this is a really good course. And other times I'm like, whoa, what is this? I mean, like, you know, I've been here for like 45 minutes. I've learned nothing, right? I could build an app in that time, right? In one of my courses, right? So uh, so people know that like if they want to spend maybe a few hours on something, they'll get something tangible that they can use in their resume or their their next performance meeting or something like that. Speaking of that, do you have any success stories of folks who have taken your course and then gotten back in touch and said, wow, this specific item really helped helped me launch X, Y, or Z? Um, not not necessarily a specific app, but I do get messages all the time saying like, yeah, this helped me get this job or, you know, I, I you know, I got a raise thanks to you. Like someone that's like in marketing, but to, like that works at marketing at a tech company. And they say, oh, I took your course on on Python and I impressed my 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 director. And now now I'm getting paid like ten thousand dollars more. Right. So I have a little I have I have that, too. And, I'm, you know, those are the people that just come talk to me. I know that because people keep buying our courses again and again and again, that they are useful, right? Uh, like something like 60% of the people on our platform buy another course, which is really high. That is high. So through your your journey, has there been any major mistakes that you've made that have been eye-openers and lessons that you'd like to share with our, our listeners? Sure. So one of the things that is probably the hardest thing to do is when you're young, you don't have a lot of experience and life is really hard, right? <laughs> so especially if you graduate during a, a global recession, that's that's even it's just adding the difficulty level to life. But it's really hard to stay stoic in that time. And that that was difficult for me and it's difficult for anyone. And so one of the things I recommend anyone, and it's not just entrepreneurship, but anything is to get really good at soft skills, okay? Interpersonal skills. If you if you can master that, you will be richer, more prosperous in the future. Hands mm-hmm. down. For sure. All right. Yeah. Agreed. So John, it sounds like you are quite a busy guy at this point. Um what do you do to stay sane and how do you manage kind of home life with family, work life? How does, how does that all come together um, so that you're not pulling your hair out constantly? Yeah. So it's definitely hard, especially, so I've got two, two kids, uh, four and six born on the same day, uh, huh. two years apart, which is kind of interesting. Didn't, didn't plan, plan the kid, not the day. 
Uh, but so I have two kids and, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure I spend time with them and uh, as, as much as, as much as I can. So, you know, when it's four o'clock, I'm done. Unless something's really pressing, I just go home. And if I need to deal with it, I'll deal with it with it when they're asleep. Okay. So that's one thing that I do. I also like to do nothing at some point in time. This may sound ridiculous, but it's important. So I don't listen to music. I, I might just go for a walk, you know, going for a hike or a bike ride. I, I like doing that. I, I bike to, to my office. And again, I have an office because if I, if the two kids were there, I would get nothing done. Right. So I do like to separate my home, home life, uh, uh, a bit here. So, but you know, there's, I doing nothing and just kind of being bored is actually something that's quite refreshing. And I recommend more people to try it. Now, some people go to a sensory deprivation tank. I've never done that. I think it sounds awesome. Right. Especially, you know, <laughs> I think it sounds super awesome, but you can just literally just close your eyes, lay in your bed and just do nothing for like 30 minutes and see if you're refreshed or not. Like no phone, nothing. That's one of the things I do. The other thing I tell people to do is to find a sport. Now for me personally, I, you know, used to work all by myself in, in my, um, in my apartment. I work mostly alone all day, which is the way I like it by the way. Uh, but I also, uh, so that means that when I'm out of work, I can go spend time with people. And one of the things I do is like to play ultimate Frisbee. And if you want to play tennis or some kind of team sports, soccer, um, hockey, anything, anything, right. I, I think that's, that's a good use of time. Cause not only, uh, are you, are you, you know, keeping in shape and keeping healthy, but you're also making friends and, um, and it's just a good use of time, right? Like exercising is a good use of time. So even if it's going to the gym and seeing, seeing some friends, uh, th- that's also good too. Like it. Well, out of respect for your time, I'd like to try to wrap this up. I know you're a busy guy, but before we go, any final nuggets of wisdom you'd like to impart on our listeners? Yeah. So if you're starting a business, what I highly recommend that you you do is to just try to keep at it. A lot of times people quit before they, they get it. And there's like, there's all these famous, like you see this on the internet every day on Twitter. It's like, you know, there's a guy, there's picking at the picking at the dirt and there's like gold just behind it then he quits right like that's that's um that that's pretty common and for me personally when i graduated in 2008 couldn't get a job tried to start businesses day in day out it took 4 years to basically 2011 and it was at boxing day and if you and you know if you don't know what boxing day is in in british places it's the day after christmas where all these sales are there right so on mm-hmm. boxing day I had a like my first course went well. I wouldn't want to say viral, but like we we I made like something like eight thousand dollars that day, right? Mm. And that was a lot lot more money than I'm used to seeing at the time. It was just like just it was hard. It was really hard for four years, and then all of a sudden it just picked up on Boxing Day, and I was literally like, okay, in two months I got to throw in the towels for the entrepreneurship, right? Like not even two months, like six weeks from now I'm done. I have no money in the bank nothing right but at the end that that happened and then when you get your break that's when the work starts you get your break you have to work harder almost harder than you did to get there and i always like to say success is a wheel you always have to continue at it and one of the things that i've i've done is that if you have a business and you want to let's say do something else like if it's playing guitar or something just do that in your spare time right? Mm-hmm. You have to do something. For me, it's always creating some kind of new project. Whether this project sees commercial 
viability or not, it doesn't matter. I always try to do something. So always keep at it. Keep at it for longer than you think. And always try to, to adapt to what's going on. Because sometimes the variables will change. And if you know how to get good at something, you can capitalize on that. And perhaps that's your next big million dollar business. Love it. Good, good final words. Thank you. It, it's been uh, it's been a real pleasure talking with you t- today, John. I appreciate your time, and best of luck to you with Mammoth. Absolutely, it was a pleasure to be here. Awesome, thanks, thanks John. No problem. Big dreams and big ideas, changing up the industry, and it could start right here. Uh, to another level, what more could you ask for? You were tuned in to the CEO next door. Weekly combo where we're all connected with entrepreneurs, sharing journeys to success, talking the ups and downs with so many guests. Learn from the experts, see what we talking next. Hey, the CEO next door, let's go.